2022 is just around the corner. Are you planning to make any New Year's resolutions? Some of us undoubtedly will, maybe to get in shape, to eat healthier, or to read the Bible more consistently. But others of us may be skeptical of the whole idea of New Year's resolutions, viewing them as at best unhelpful and at worst counterproductive. What should Christians think about the value of resolutions? What does it look like to work hard to establish good habits while also relying on God's grace and power? In our conversation today, I'm talking about all of this and more with David Murray, a counselor, a pastor, and the author of numerous books, including Reset, Living a Grace-Paced Life in a Burnout Culture from Crossway. Let's get started. Well, David, thank you so much for joining me again on the Crossway Podcast. Thanks, Matt. We're becoming podcast buddies here. That's right. That's right. This is, uh, by my count, our fourth time talking together on the Crossway Podcast. And uh, some of our listeners, longtime listeners, might remember that you were actually one of our very first guests on the show uh, way back over two years ago now. And so uh, it's a joy to get to talk with you again. Thanks, Matt. It's an honor to be on the Crossway podcast and especially one of the first guests on it. That's yes. that's a great privilege. Yes, absolutely. We were so excited to get to talk with you. Um, today, we're going to talk about New Year's resolutions. Uh, it's, it's that time of year again where in just a few days we'll be entering into 2022 and leaving behind 2021. And I remember as we were nearing 2021, uh, people saying, "Oh, it's going to be so good to to leave 2020 behind," and then we little did we know we were going to get another kind of crazy year. Mm. Has has this last year been kind of crazy for you as well? Yes, it's been crazy in a few ways. Um, I, it was the first year I started in a new congregation, so you know, your first year in a new congregation. It's a COVID year. That's not that's not a great start. <laughs> Um, moved house, um, wife got a new job, uh, one daughter graduated, one son getting mm. married. So wow. a pretty busy year. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, the whole change of year uh, often is a time when we think about this idea of resolutions. We kind of are looking back on the year before and uh, probably often we're feeling a little bit dissatisfied with something. We want to see some change in our lives. We want to to do something differently. And so we, we take the opportunity of the new year to kind of maybe try to reset a little bit and make some resolutions. So I wonder, um, just generally, have you made New Year's resolutions in the past? Are you planning to do so again this year? What do you think about that whole topic? Yes, I think the, the new year's turn is a great opportunity to reset our lives. I think it's a God-given gift. The beginning of the new year, of course, wasn't the same in biblical times, but there was the a time where God's people marked that change in the Old Testament, and they began it with a feast and some um, events that were particularly associated with that time. So I think we do have good biblical mandate for it. And I think it just makes common sense as well that we use these changes to make changes, changes in the year to make changes in our lives. 
and I've I've tried various things over the years. I do try and take advantage of that. I think my biggest mistake has probably been trying to change too many things at once. Mm. So this year, as this last year, I am really going to focus on one. Uh, you would say one spiritual habit. And one, I don't know, maybe not so spiritual habit. I don't like making that distinction, but maybe, mm. I sh- maybe I should say one very directly related to my spiritual life, one that will affect my spiritual life, but it won't be typically regarded as spiritual. Yeah. Well, I want to get into that distinction between spiritual and unspiritual mm. things that we often want to do. Uh, we'll get into that in a little bit, but uh, I thought it could be fun to... To, to walk through, I found a list of some of the top New Year's resolutions that people tend to set. Hmm. And I wonder if, uh, if you could comment on them, if you've ever had any of them as your own or something like that. Um, so I'll give you... Uh, I can tell you some... right now, I've probably tried all of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the very first one, people might uh, expect this one, would be get in shape. Yeah. Uh, get, get healthy. Um is that something that you can resonate with ever trying to set? Yeah, sure. And I think, again, you know, I want to think of spiritual health and physical health. But I think we also can diversify that a bit, make it a bit of a bigger concept. Mental health, emotional health, relational health. So in each of these categories, I think you can have some resolution to improve, make some progress. And again, trying not to do too much at one time, but I think a general category of improved health, including that biblical holistic look at the whole person, is a very helpful way to approach it. Mm, yeah. All right. Number two was eat better. Yeah, same thing. Uh, one of the areas that I'm really focused on this year, actually, I would say it's my biggest focus on the more physical side, but I expect it to affect me spiritually, is to really work on uh, eliminating foods that cause inflammation in the body mm. and try and eat foods that are more calming. I think you know all the research is showing that so much of current illness, disease in the US especially is caused by inflammation. Food's not the only component in that, but it's a major component. And um, I think if the more we can reduce that, the the healthier we'll be. I, I do believe the longer we'll live, the the more we will avoid cancer. So I just view that as medical research that helps me fulfill my responsibility to God to steward my body well. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Number three uh, is stop procrastinating. Maybe a little bit unexpected, uh, but what do you think about that resolution? Um. I don't view myself as a great or, or as a terrible procrastinator, apart from in one area, and that's administration. So, mm. like, you know, doing podcasts, writing, uh, sermons, writing books, no problem at all uh, there. I'm like, you know, let me at it. I can't get to it soon enough. But when it comes to actual paperwork, <laughs> uh, you know, emails and organizing my finances, keeping up with health insurance, all that, that just like, it's agony for me. Mm. Uh, thankfully, I've got a great wife who <laughs> carries me in these areas. But um, I think all of us have certain tasks we dread, and that's where procrastination comes in. Mm, yeah, and it might look a little differently for different people. Yep. 
All right, two more. Uh, get more sleep was yeah. number four. Yeah. So that's something I've learned in the past. I feel I'm in a good habit of that now. A minimum of seven. I'm aiming for seven and a half. I would love to have eight uh, each night. Uh, but certainly I know that if I go any less than seven, I am, I'm heading for stress. My arthritis will f inflame. Um, I'll be foggy in my thinking. I'll be rash in my decision-making. So uh, sleep, I've learned that lesson, I believe, uh, through painful experience, but I would really encourage anyone who's not doing it. You think you're adding to your life by, you know, skimping on sleep, but I, I think we lose it at the end of our lives. Mm. One way or another, it, we have to pay for it. Yeah, well, and, and perhaps even before the end, uh, yeah. we're losing it in that we're we're not doing as good a work or we're neglecting certain people in our lives, yeah. important relationships. Yep. Absolutely. All right, the last last of the top five New Year's resolutions that I found uh, was reducing stress. Mm. You know, it's interesting that, Matt, because when you actually put together these other four, it ends up reducing stress. Mm. And, and I mean, I think you can see the whole thing goes together as a package. That's something you and I have talked about a lot online and offline, just that need to try and view ourselves as a whole, not divide up our lives um, so that we're li really living like dualists. So I think that reduced stress, you can actually reduce stress unless you work on these other areas of mm. resolution habits, etc. So as, as you look at those five resolutions that, uh, again, by this one list I found were kind of the top five, and uh, I looked at a number of places, and many of them were overlapping with these. They're very similar to yep. these. Uh, what do you take from the way that they all do seem to kind of hang together? They all have a certain similar vibe to them. Um, and they're all things that many of us would say, yeah, I'm really struggling with that uh, on a regular basis. What, what do you think that reveals about how we as maybe just maybe mostly Americans uh, or, or generally humans are, are thinking about our lives? Yeah, it's, it's interesting if you if you look at the research that very few of these things were concerns um, 100, 150 years ago, especially 150 years plus. And it's a, it's a modern complex of issues that is related partly to industrial revolution, partly to electricity enabling us to work early morning, late night, partly to the... Um, mass manufacturing of food that has you know really caused our diets to deteriorate and maybe especially the the digital revolution that has really changed our whole lives blurred a lot of boundaries between home and work between mm. rest and labor and therefore you've got all these issues are arising i think gradually over that time but maybe really accelerated in the last 20 years and no sign yet of it slowing down i'm not sure if people realize how much the digital component has played into each of these issues where we're finding hey things are not going well i need to change it yeah yeah so more broadly to this issue of resolutions uh, my sense my experience is that many christians can feel somewhat conflicted 
uh, by this idea, especially New Year's resolutions, the idea of picking a, a time in the year and saying, all right, this is when I want to make this change. Uh, and it seems like sometimes uh, the concern is, uh, especially if we look at a list like we just talked through, mm. that some of them are a little bit too unspiritual right. or too focused on, quote unquote, self-help. Right. And, and I think that even relates to a broader suspicion of anything that hints at mm. self-help or perhaps to use a newer term, self-care. Mm. I, I wonder if you could speak to that. Have you noticed that suspicion that Christians often have? And how would you respond to that? Yeah, it's definitely there. I don't think it's as bad as it used to be. I, I think that that has certainly been a problem in the past, and it still is a problem, but I think there is a greater appreciation amongst the wider Christian public of the connections, the way body depends on soul, it depends on mind, depends on your environment. So I think there is a greater awareness that you can't really, strictly speaking, separate, you know, that's my spiritual life, this is my other life. But that a biblical view of life is is a whole life. God did not just make us as souls. He made us bodies and souls. He didn't just make us as individuals. He made us in community. He didn't just make us that like we've got a whole new genetic makeup every time. We, he made us so that we inherit that from our parents. Uh, and he's put us in specific environments which influence and shape us as well. So I think a lot greater awareness is, and, and it's growing. Um, I think a lot will depend on, really on your motive, your method, and your aim. So your motive, why am I doing this? Is it to get a six-pack and make myself look more attractive to the girls? Or if you're a female, is it to get a, a more shapely figure that will make me more attractive to men? Um, or is it better, of course, is it, this is a body given to me by God, redeemed by Christ, purchased by blood, and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, and therefore I have to give it back to him in service and worship. So that, you can you can have two people doing exactly the same thing, but for completely different motives. One is mm. secular, and the yeah. other is spiritual, because of the spiritual motivation. Hmm. It seems like some of the major concerns that Christians would have with this self-care movement that we see kind of all around us all the time is that it can have this selfish and self-centered mm -hmm. and surface-level preoccupation. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that is a real concern? Like, as you look at Christians, um, are, are we falling prey to that in such a way that we really do need to stand up and say, no, that's actually, that's too emphasized mm. in our in our conversations. So I think that what I've noticed in so many areas of life is the errors are on both sides of the extreme. So you've got, yeah, for sure, idolatry of the body and of the self, a self-centered life. On the other side, you've got the total neglect of the gift of a body and the gift of a life and no responsibility taken for one's own health and and even portraying that as super spiritual so both extremes are to be avoided they're both unbiblical we are not to idolize neither are we to be bad stewards of what god has given us and i think the a lot of the dangers of the selfish focus can be changed can be redeemed as it were not just if we focus on a different motivation but different method so that 
okay, say we are resolved to eat better, get fitter, sleep more. Am I doing that just like independently in my own strength, my own determination, my own willpower? Or am I praying to the Lord for his help and seeking that really conscious dependence on him as I do this? Um, am I doing it as a, as, a, as a way of drawing me to God rather than as a way of making me more independent of God? And that, I mean, that changes the whole of life. That means you can mm. garden to God's glory if you're doing it in dependence on him. You can drive your car to God's glory. There are people who can pre preach sermons and pray without any dependence on God. And you can have other people who are doing, you might say, secular things or non-spiritual things, but they're doing it in a spiritual way and therefore much more pleasing to God. I always remember an old saying by somebody said, um, Jesus did natural things spiritually and spiritual things naturally. And I think that's a beautiful balance and cohesion in that approach to life. And it means you you don't end up um, with this severe divide. You don't end up with separating the natural from the spiritual and the spiritual mm. from the natural. Would you even go so far as to, to say that we shouldn't use those adjectives when we talk about our lives and the things that we are called to do? I think it's helpful to use them um, as a stepping stone away from them. So it's hard to <laughs> reinvent. You know, the world has stolen so many words from us, um, and you're tempted just to give them up. So I, I, what I like to do is reclaim the words and begin to redefine them and repackage them and represent them. But, you know, to just make a whole new vocabulary or just reject any misused words... I don't think we'll make any progress there, but you know, taking a Christian mind to commonly used words, redefining them, I think is the way forward. Hmm. So you said something a couple of minutes ago that I wanted to dig into. You, you noted the the relationship between hard work and and setting goals and making habits, and I want to talk about habits in a minute. But that hard work uh, and how that relates to this idea of relying on God's strength, on uh, relying on his grace. And it seems like sometimes Christians can seem to think those two things are mutually exclusive. Mm. Um, have you observed that? And, and what would you say to that kind of mindset? Yes, for sure. But I don't see it in the Bible. And I've noticed it especially in Paul's epistles. You, you There you have, I think, probably one of the most determined men that have ever lived, a man with one of the strongest human wills that has ever been on this planet. He's full of determination. He's full of resolution. And yet everything he does is in dependence upon God. Mm. And it's, it's a will that was like going 120 miles per hour in one direction. And God didn't suddenly change him at his conversion so that now he's just a kind of weak, irresolute, um, wimpy kind of, well, Kesarasara, whatever will be, will be. No, he takes that will, the same will, that same strength, that same fervor and zeal, and he redirects it towards the Lord. And I think, you know, you've got um, Philippians where he speaks of it's God who works in us both to will and to do 
do of his good pleasure. So what Paul has done there is he's saying, I'm not willing or doing any less than I, than I used to. But now it's God's will and doing that comes before that and that enables that. Hmm. Well, yeah, in your book, Reset, you talk about these three concepts. Uh, you talk about the motivating power of grace, the moderating power of grace, and the multiplying power of grace. Uh, I wonder if you could unpack those for us and how those relate to what we're talking about. Yeah, I, well, we, you know, that first one, the motivating grace, why do you do what you do? Um, you get some people who'll do everything out of law or personal endeavor, and that is one of the great contributors to burn out. And it's literally that, you know, the research in medical science has shown us that stress actually makes the body inflamed. It, it, it increases the redness, as it were, inside. And so grace, I believe, comes in and tamps that down because our motive is completely changed. And then moderating is really saying, well, you know, you're a perfectionist, maybe you've got these high standards and you're striving, striving, striving. And when you fail, it's like a complete disaster. You berate mm. yourself, you flagellate yourself. Whereas grace comes in and says, that's my standard. Okay, I failed. Lord, I confess. Fresh start. Off we go again. I'm learning my weakness here. And therefore, again, it completely changes the whole idea of failure and not reaching our own standards. Mm. Then multiplying grace is where um, instead of saying everything depends on me, I've got to work all these hours of the day and night or else my church, my business, my family will fall apart. It's saying all I've got is five loaves and two fishes, but Lord, you can multiply them and you can do more with my little than I can do by trying to multiply it myself. And then, you know, you've got releasing grace, which is releasing control to God. Instead of being a controller and trying to, you know, micromanage everything, you're saying, no, Lord, I release it. I've done what I can. Now it's over to you, whether it's with children, money, church troubles. And then that last well of grace, receiving grace, the, the grace to receive, which doesn't come easy to some of us. To see God giving us that gift of sleep, of Sabbath, of friendship, of church fellowship, of leisure, recreation, and receiving them as his good gifts rather than feeling guilty about them and, and returning thanks to him. If we are drinking from these five wells of motivating, moderating, multiplying, releasing and receiving grace, then that's going to completely change us inside and out, and mm. it's, it's going to be a grace-powered life. Well, and that's such, such a helpful framework for thinking about the way that God's grace uh, meets us, uh, meets us in our own effort, our own work, mm. our own habits. It's not like it's an either-or, but they actually go together um, when we're thinking rightly. And I'll oh, go ahead. Yeah, I and mean, it's just, I, I think we've talked about this before, Matt, but I just I really feel that we have a way too restricted view of grace when you only limit it to, you might say, the doctrines of grace, which are massively graceful already. But in comparison to all the grace that God has had, that God has for us, um, it's it's a part of it, a big part of it, but not the whole part. And so I, I really. I want us to embrace the doctrines of grace more and more and more, but I want us to expand our view of grace 
and the more the more grace that we can get then I'd, i believe the the healthier we'll be overall mm. so a lot of this relates to this idea of habits if i had to guess many if not most of what often constitutes new year's resolutions for us uh, could be kind of summarized as in some way an attempt to create healthy habits mm. in our lives mm. and then stick to them. Uh, does the Bible have anything to say about habits or habit formation? You know, I, I would I would argue, Matt, that sanctification is habit formation. It's, it's nothing less than that. Um, it's more than that, you know. Um, habit science obviously does not include things like union with Christ, uh, justification, dependence on the Spirit, um, using the power of Christ's cross to empower us, to forgive us and restart us again. It ignores all that. But you might say habit science comes in at the end of the habit, the biblical habit process, um, biblical sanctification. And I believe it's there that we can learn a ton from the secular world and, and it's not it's not the secular world it's god's world if if mm. people in the secular world have discovered truths and facts and rules principles that god has packed into nature then then they're just discovering what god has already put there and and they have discovered it for our good so you, you know you've got things like um Put off the old man, put on the new. That's habit formation. But what does that mean? Like, how do I do that? The Bible doesn't give us a ton of details or much detail at all about how to do that. I think you can work out some by common sense. But habit science can really give us a ton of detail as to how you can put off something old and replace it with something new. How to develop the, the graces, like, you know, you've got the fruits of the Spirit, love, patience, meekness, self-control. How, how do I get that? And I think that's where, again, the habit signs can come in, not to displace God, but ask God to use it and to really help us understand who, who we are, how we work, how we change. And I found, you know, James Clear's book on atomic habits extremely helpful in my own sanctification hmm. and helping me to understand how God has made human nature. As far as I know, James Clear isn't a Christian, but I think he's done a lot of Christians good service. I, I think sometimes the response from a Christian to that, maybe the suspicious Christian, uh, would be, um, you know, the the answer to how do I put on the new self and put off the old and these bad bad habits that I might have is it comes down to um, the power of the Spirit kind of working within me, and it's a little bit of a maybe a undefined, how does that actually work itself out mm. in practice? Mm. But that and and just uh, determination and, and a, a willingness to do do the work, to say no, uh, commitment to it. And if we would only kind of believe the gospel truly and fully, uh, that we would be able to to do that stuff. And I think on the, on the flip side, then there's maybe the suspicion of uh, what maybe could be called hacks, habit hacks that we might read about in some of these books. Mm. And the claim would be, well, those are those are temporary at best. They'll, they'll get you, uh, they'll kind of, they're a band-aid for the problem that you have, but mm-hmm. they're not really going to stick or last 
so how would you respond to that kind of thinking? I agree with it to an extent. Uh, so again, I think if you bring in habit science, habit hacks, life hacks, and that's all you do, yeah, it's not going to work. No one has the will. At least, I mean, some people do have some success. You know, you have to be honest. People do change. Uh, but the, yeah, the vast majority of us are not going to keep going. So what's the answer? Is the answer to abandon how God has made us and how people have discovered human nature changes? No. It's to begin where God begins, with the gospel, with faith, with prayer, with dependence on the Holy Spirit, uh, with, you know, Christian fellowship, accountability, with worship. Like, let's get all that groundwork in. And we don't leave it behind. It comes with us. It's not like, okay, I've done that. Now I'll go to the secular. Mm, no, yeah. everything's built on that. You know, and you, you go through the Bible, there are just hundreds of imperatives, far more than just believe the gospel more, uh, far more than um, just be filled with the Spirit. Paul gets extremely specific. So does Jesus. And so we have to get very specific too. And they, if, if, if Jesus and Paul and the other biblical authors had decided to give us the details for how we change in every area of life, you know, we would have ended up with Richard Baxter's Practical Works as our Bible, you know, four <laughs> massive volumes of tiny print, uh, but they didn't do that. But they've given us enough uh, to help us change and to help us analyze this world, understand the rules of diet, exercise, um, taking care of our eyesight, our hearing. Uh, our teeth, all of which are gifts of God, um, and all of which we have to give an account for. So I'm not saying let's jump in at habit signs. I'm saying, no, we start and we stay with the gospel and we build along on, on top of that with that what has been proven to be helpful in every area of life what is reliable, credible, scientific help, just as we mm. do in every area of life. You know, I always think of preachers, uh, you know, they actually do work on sermons. They don't just sit there and wait for, you know, the spirit to fill them with words, not in the study, not in the pulpit. But they sit there and they stand there in the pulpit, um, depending on the spirit and doing the mental work that the mm, spirit tends yeah. to use. So it's it's not one or the other. It's going back to Paul, God works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. He works, so we work, and when we work, he works. It's a it's a very it's very mutual, it's very much together, it's never apart. And that's what sets a Christian apart from your habit hacks. Mm. So you mentioned uh, the book Atomic Habits. I, I wonder, are there any other practical tools or concepts or ideas that you have gleaned from uh, quote-unquote secular science that mm. have proven very helpful for you, maybe in particular related to your spiritual habits? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so one of the, the books I found very helpful is called The Power of Full Engagement by um, Tony Schwartz. Um, so he wrote this book. He's a Harvard Business School teacher, professor, uh, best-selling author. And 
what he realized was, in, as he was trying to become more productive and useful in life, that time management, better time management, just wasn't cutting it. It just, he, it could only take you so far because you had only so many hours in the day. And he turned his efforts and research into energy management. And what he found was that there were four elements of energy in, in every human being. There's physical energy, how healthy are you? There's emotional energy, how happy are you? There's mental energy, how well can you focus on something? And there's spiritual energy, as he called it. And what he meant by that is, why are you doing all this? What's your mm. purpose, right? And what he basically argued was that for us to feel and have greater energy, you have to keep filling up in these four areas. You can't just fill up in one. So how healthy are you? The healthier you are, the more physical energy you'll have. How happy are you? You can have tons of physical energy, but if you're miserable at what you're doing, you won't do it very much. If you're happy at what you're doing, then you will produce a lot more energy. Mentally, how well can you focus on something? So you can have somebody who sits at a computer for two hours and is all over the place, distracted. You can have someone else who sits there for 10 focused minutes and can actually accomplish as much as the two-hour person. Mm, yeah. And then you've got spiritual, you know, getting your why, and Christians obviously have ton more motivation than than secular people here we're doing it for the lord we're doing it for the one who loved us and died for us shed his blood for us who's taking us to heaven we've got a much bigger why our spiritual tank should be a lot bigger and so as i've thought about my life and my service to god i do feel it's part of my worship of him to keep working on filling these four tanks and then Schwartz went on to talk about the two modes of energy. So each of these tanks, you're either in expenditure mode or you're in income mode. You're either draining it or you're filling it up. And when you, you drain it, you then have to take some time to fill it up again. So I think that's helpful always to be thinking, you know, have I been draining this one too much and I need to pause and just you'll fill up one of these tanks again. Then the last area, and I think this is the key to the whole thing, is four elements of energy, two modes of energy, one wall of energy. And he's basically saying there, the higher and the thicker you can build the wall between income and expenditure of energy, the more energy you'll have when you're working, and the more quickly you will refill when you are resting. And the big problem today is we don't have that wall anymore. Hmm. We work when we are at home and we are playing when we are at work. The internet, especially in our digital devices, has basically demolished that wall so that we are never fully off and we are never fully on. And he's, he's saying to us, basically, the higher you can build that wall, expenditure on one side, income on the other, the far more productivity you'll have when you're working, and the far quicker you will refill when you are resting. And to me, that's like just invaluable for helping me serve the Lord in a responsible way. And it guides me in my habit formation as well. And I, I believe it's, if I can say this, I believe it's made me more holy um, mm. and more useful to the Lord. Oh, that, 
reminds me of something you said earlier. You mentioned just how um, you've noticed that some of these uh, quote-unquote unspiritual, uh, let's say the tanks, uh, your physical energy, your emotional energy, uh, your relationships, that that can have a direct impact on your spiritual mm. life, the things mm-hmm. that we would typically view as as quote-unquote spiritual. Yep. Uh, unpack that a little bit for us. How have you seen that that dynamic play out sure. in your own life. So you take that mental tank. So that's focused. That's that's about how focused are you on what you are doing. If I'm sitting, you know, working on my computer, and every five ten minutes I feel that hey, check my email. Hey, check your texts. Hey, you know, check what's going on in the I'm world. I'm sure most of us have no idea what. No, that, I what that know. Feels like. Well, I'll just tell you what. You know, I'm such a terrible sinner, Matt. You know. Um, if I, if I do that as a habit through the day, I have zero hope of sitting with my Bible and concentrating hmm. because my tank, my mental concentration tank is empty. Or and you haven't get, cultivated the habit of focusing right, in right, general. Right, yeah. yeah. So if I sit and, or try and pray, you know, within five minutes, my mind has got into a habit of, hey, check your email. Hey, you better make sure, you know, this hasn't happened on the internet or whatever. Um, so I think there, you know, making sure you've got a really good mental tank with high quality fuel in it in your daily life is going to help your spiritual life, help you listen to sermons as well. I think as well emotionally. If you're depressed, if you are run down emotionally, you can't really expect to have a a happy spiritual life. It just doesn't work. Your emotions are not separated like that. You they carry over, and therefore building joy into your life, in you know even taking a walk in nature, a hobby that carries over into your spiritual life too. Whereas if you're just running, 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 you're not even doing the things you know bring you joy, again, you can't expect to have joy in the Lord. So one of the most discouraging things that I think we've all experienced at some point is setting a personal goal or resolution and then and then falling short for some reason of, of not fulfilling it. And I think it's especially hard when we kind of know, you know, that was, that was my fault. I, hmm. I could have done it and I just didn't for some reason. Um, and I, my sense is that, my own experience, is that can be pretty demotivating and actually, at times, sink us into even less healthy habits than we were before mm. uh, in this kind of ironic twist. Uh, mm. Have you ever experienced that? Never. No, I don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> Matt. Every single resolution, just 100% kept. <laughs> I wish. Um, I think the first thing is, to begin with prayer and ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to change in my life? And I, I tend to focus on one thing now, if I can. Uh, my mistakes in the past have revolved around just trying to do too many things at one time. Mm. And Habit Science talks about, you know, if you can affect a new habit for about 30 to 45 days, then you've more or less made a new habit. It's much harder to go back. So better to do one at a time every 30 to 45 days than try and do five things, neither of which will get to 35 days. So I think to ask the Lord, Lord, what's my priority or what's your priority for me? And just seek that. Maybe ask people who know you best and who pray with you, 
what area God can use them to speak into our life. So I think if you can focus on a big thing, focus on one thing, and then again, you go to habit science. There's, there, are, you would say James Clear talks about this. There are four laws of habit formation. Number one is make it obvious. So let's just take exercise as an example. Okay, I want to exercise more. That would basically mean putting your running shoes at the door and your running clothes beside it the night before so that when you get up in the morning, you actually see it. It's obvious. It, and then that's, that's called the cue or the trigger. Secondly, make it attractive. So, you know, he would say things like buy some new running shoes, get some new running clothes so that you actually feel good in it. Um, remind yourself, do some research on the, the benefits of exercise, not just long term, but in the immediate, you'll feel better, you'll um, be sharper, you'll feel you've accomplished something. So that, that builds a craving. So you start with cue, then that grows into a craving. The third thing is make it easy. And that's the response to the craving. So if you're saying, you know, I'm going to run 10 miles, that ain't easy and it ain't going to happen. <laughs> so he talks about things like day one, um, open the front door to go running. And that's all. Or huh. do one press up. So, but what he's basically saying is if you make that your aim, if you make it easy enough, you'll, you'll actually start to do it. You make it too high a mountain, you'll never climb it. But he said once you open the front door, you tend to think, well, I'm out here now. I might as well at least take a step or run to the bottom of the driveway and back. Or, I'm, well, I'm down the ground now anyway. I might as well do two press-ups. But <laughs> keep the bar very low so that it's easy. And then fourthly, make it satisfying. That's about the reward. So it goes cue, craving, response, reward. And that is, okay, I'm going to say to myself, if I do two press-ups today, then I get to, I don't know, um, think up what really rewards you. For me, it would be like go fishing, okay? <laughs> <laughs> um, or just a smaller thing like um, I get to watch a favorite show. I'm not gonna. I, I'm not gonna let myself watch the show tonight unless I actually do that. So hmm. you make it a reward, make it rewarding, and that that builds a, a cycle, um, and then the cue, craving, response, reward begin to build on themselves. And and the reverse is true too. If you're wanting to break a bad bad habit, make it invisible, make it unattractive, make it difficult, make it unsatisfying. In other words, punish yourself as it were for it. So I think mm. that helps as well. And I think we bring in grace here too, that we fail. We're going to fail. Even one press up, some of us won't do that. Um, but bring it to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I did feel like this was you're calling me to steward my body better. I, I, this is hard for me. I confess I failed. I'm done it for a couple of days. I want to start again. The great thing is I can get rid of that guilt and have it washed away in the blood of Christ. And Lord, I'm so weak. I need even more of your spirit than I thought I needed. Maybe I can get a Christian brother to phone me or text me in half an hour, you know, eight o'clock every morning to make sure. Now bring in the Christian community. And, you know, again, you're just you're just trying to mix these two worlds in, a, in an integrated, holistic way that that doesn't you know overstress one or the other and mm. i think there's there's nothing like a getting a fresh start to get you freshly motivated and mm. you know leave guilt behind and start again and i think that, that christians should have 
greater motivation, better methods, better aims, and better resilience in their habit formation than any non-Christian. Hmm. You know, for me, I've noticed that uh, in situations like that, where uh, I haven't reached a goal I wanted to reach, I haven't been as consistent as I wanted to be with something, um, my tendency can be to just be so focused on pushing through and, and fixing that, on getting back on track, or I can feel so discouraged that in either case, I don't spend the time it takes uh, to think about why mm. I didn't I didn't hit that mm. goal, why I wasn't able to stay consistent. Um, is that an important step that you think we would do well to, to slow down and assess? And if so, what are the different causes uh, in your experience for why we often don't hmm. stick to our resolutions? Hmm. The why, yeah. Um, I, I don't think we should be too hard on ourselves. So um, I think if we ground everything in identity, who I am before God does not depend upon if I am accomplishing, if I am progressing, if I am changing. I, we keep coming back to, regardless of how I did today, I am a child of God. I am fully accepted. I am loved. God doesn't kick me to the curb because I didn't run today or I ate you know, chips today or whatever. So I think keeping that at the core of our being, reminding ourselves of that, then we're not going to end up saying things like to myself, why did I do this? Oh, it's because I'm useless. Oh, it's because I, I'm just not a disciplined person or I'm just not a this or I'm that. No, you know, I'm a child of God. These, these, these habits or failures do not define me. I, I keep this in front of me. My, my father loves me, wants the best for me, is encouraging me, will never give up on me. And I think that's my, my baseline. And then I go to, okay, what are the whys that are a bit more practical, you might say? Hmm. Can, does, is it like, so if, say for example, morning habits, say like Bible reading in the morning or running. Um, I have found that the key is the night before. It's not, the problem is not in the morning. The problem is the night before. In other words, not getting to bed early enough, hmm. um, not setting myself up for a good night's sleep with a good sleep routine beforehand, irregularity, body clock. Our body clock loves rhythm and routine. So that's where I would usually go. I think to myself, okay, the problem is not the morning. The problem is the evening. Hmm. And then just working back from that. And then I think as well, you've got to, you've got to get to you know, things like idolatry in your heart. Uh, what, what is, is there something that I am giving priority to over this? My own personal comfort, uh, my own love of ease, my own, I mean, if we're motivated by, you know, building big muscles, I just don't think that's going to keep us going for long. And so I think asking about your why, what is my why? Is, is going to help us purify our motive as well as, as fuel us hmm. going forward. Hmm. Well, maybe as a last question, I wonder if there's any other practical tips or advice that you would offer the Christian listening right now when it comes to setting good, attainable, God-glorifying resolutions for the new year. Yeah, I think 
if there's one thing that I learned from James Clear's book, it's the power of littles. So he talks about, um, if I can remember the stat of this, um, if you change 1% a day because of the power of compounding, I think if I recall rightly, you've changed 100% in 37 days. Hmm. And it's hundreds of percentages by the end of the year. Check, fact check me on that. It's a staggering number, whatever it is. And it really encouraged me, you know, don't, David, don't aim like for Everest. Aim for the molehill. And then another molehill. And then another molehill. So that every day I am just making that small hmm. advance. And I think, you know, so much is breakthroughs are made at the end of a lot of littles we don't usually make these breakthroughs up front but you're you're going along and I, again I can't, I can't remember the exact thing about this map but something about bamboo in that book you know it spends something like two years or no, more than that even underground and then mm. in something like three weeks it grows i don't know oh, 20 30 feet and wow. James cleared at a few examples of that where, you know, just little, 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 it's unseen, nobody's noticing, nothing's changing, it would appear. And then there's this, you know, breakthrough. And we would say, you know, a God moment. And that really encourages me to keep going, even when I'm not seeing breakthroughs, that ultimately God can give me a breakthrough. And then he gets all the glory because I realized, well, all I contributed was like these tiny little littles. And so make it small, make it specific, make it doable, make it regular, do everything powered by the gospel, depending on the spirit for the glory of God. And if it, if we do that, I believe these habits will drive us closer to God eh, rather than away from him. Hmm. Well, David, thank you so much for helping us think a little bit more biblically, perhaps, about the idea of New Year's resolutions and setting good habits in our lives. And uh, yeah, we appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Matt. I'm, I'm passionate about it, you know, because I just, I see the world just so full of passion for change, self-change, self-help, transformation. You go into bookshops, you look at the bestsellers, that's what they're all about. And I'm like, where is the Christian in this? If, if anyone should be about transformation, and if anyone can be transformed by the renewing of our minds, it's, it's the Christian. So I hope and pray this podcast will inspire, motivate, enable, so that we can put the world to shame and mm. say, look what God can do. That was David Murray on resolutions and habit formation. For more, be sure to check out his book with Crossway, Reset living a grace-paced life in a burnout culture. Pick up your copy of the book for 30% off directly from Crossway by visiting crossway.org plus. That's crossway.org plus. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review, which helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's Word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.